0: Hey, everybody, you're tuned into the Tales of Two Cities podcast. I'm Betty Marquez-Rosales. And I'm Sabine
1: Bezny. This episode is all about something we all have, and don't say you don't. Our
0: guilty pleasures. From midnight snacking. To steamy romance novels. And we can't forget about chocolate. We all have guilty pleasures, and today we'll be taking a look at some. We'll kick off with Zuni's Candies in Oakland, a shop that has been open for more than a decade, attracting anyone in the East Bay who has a sweet tooth.
2: When people find the candies they had as a kid that grandma used to give them or mom used to give them, there is absolute joy.
1: Is shopping or collecting your bad habit? We'll take a look at how people are learning to organize all the stuff that they
3: have and figuring out what sparks joy. Well, I think being from here, I've accumulated a lot of things I just realized I don't actually need.
0: Then let's take a journey with a group of friends trying to solve a nasty murder in a board game called Mysterium. They'll tell us why playing games is not just for kids. Tabletop games are a great way to hang out with friends. I think I tend to be a little more introverted and withdrawn around people I don't know, but I tend to get along well with other people that are really into these like geeky board games.
1: Finally, we'll speak with Rochelle known as R.L. Merrill, member of San Francisco's chapter of Romance Writers of America. We'll talk about why people feel guilty reading about love and sex and why Rochelle says you don't have to.
4: Romance writing, romance industry is a $1.3 billion industry in this country.
1: That's all coming up on the Tales
0: of Two Cities podcast. Our first story takes us back to our childhood with one of the earliest, guiltiest pleasures you can possibly think of: candy.
1: Reporter Caitlin Benz takes us to Oakland, where Zuni's Candies have been selling candy like M&Ms and Pixie Sticks for more than a decade.
5: I'm at Zuni's Candies in Oakland's Rockridge neighborhood, and the moment I step inside, colors and music overwhelm my senses. There's candy and there's toys all over the walls. Shoharazad Junplot is the shop's owner, and she's very familiar with the temptation of being around sweet treats all day, every day.
2: We have anything for, for big and small kids, and when I say big, I mean all of us, up to age 99.
5: Zunis has this nostalgia factor that you can cling to, no matter how old you are. Everyone's favorite childhood treats line the shelves. Harry Potter chocolate frogs, nerds ropes, saltwater taffy, jawbreakers, and those wax bottles filled with sugar water that you just want to chew on.
2: I think memories are really tied to things you eat, things you smell, visuals, and um, when people find the candies they had as a kid that grandma used to give them or mom used to give them, there is absolute joy I asked Shaharazad what her guilty pleasure candies are the chocolate case anything there it's just and I love our gelato our gelato is sinful we always joke that we do a lot of quality checks just to make sure things taste right uh, you know sometimes you just crave a little
5: spice. And they always taste right I'm they sure Always taste
2: right of course <laughs>
5: Shaharazad walked me through the store and pointed out some of her favorites, taking me
2: immediately to her
5: favorite spot.
2: So this is our famous uh, chocolate case. And things that are made here, like the turtles, for example, Um, it's very high-quality ingredients, so it's not just a turtle, it's a turtle. It's gelato. It looks
5: good. Do you have a favorite
2: flavor? Yes, Copa Mista. It's... uh, chocolate, chocolate, uh, vanilla, almond extract, and pistachio. I call it party in your mouth. And
5: while a lot of the candy will bring back childhood memories, for some of it, maybe not so much.
2: So this is more traditional, our chocolate rabbit, beautiful. Um, but we also will have, you know, like the clucking chicken that poops candy, That's that lays eggs. And then, of course, poop is in. I don't know what's up with that. We have a jumbo jelly poo. And then we have our Trump section, of course.
5: Yes, she just said the Trump section.
2: I can't help but
5: be fascinated by some of the 6,000-plus products on the shelves at Zuni's. But Shaharazad says people do buy them, even if they're silly. What in the world? Underpants for your hands. Fits most hands. Hundreds of uses, funerals, graduations. <laughs> That's right, underpants for your hands. But it's not all jokes and nostalgia,
2: though, according to Shaharazad. The work never stops when you're a small business owner. I, I say the store is like a hungry kid, I never can feed it enough. People don't always realize small business means you're hands on all the time.
5: And right now, with Christmas, Valentine's Day, and Easter all just weeks apart from one another,
2: it's an extremely busy time to be a manager. So it's it's the holidays. We get very busy, and we start to prepare months ahead. We order our Christmas things um, in the summer. And... If you don't order, you don't get it, so you need to be on top of things. Plan way ahead.
5: So if your guilty pleasure is jelly bellies, pop rocks, or biting the heads off of chocolate rabbits, well, you're in luck. Stores like Zuni's are full of them. And if your thing is jelly poop or mini underpants for your hands, well, you know where you can find that, too. For The Tales of Two Cities, I'm
1: Caitlin Benz. Hey, Betty, did you know that there are more than 64 storage facilities in Richmond and Oakland?
0: That's a lot of space for all the old couches and boxes of books that people can't fit inside their homes.
1: The scary part is that research done by the self-storage almanac in 2015 found that even people who have a big house are still renting extra space.
0: In our next piece, reporter Yasmin Graymal shows us how some people in the East Bay are tackling that very common guilty pleasure, having too much stuff.
6: How much stuff do you have in your house? Can you fit all your clothes inside your wardrobes? What about your garage? Can you fit your car in? If not, maybe you were one of the thousand people in the East Bay who are getting hooked on KonMari. That's the organizing technique created by the Japanese author Mary Kondo. Her book is the number one New York Times bestseller and she's the start of the new Netflix show, Tidying Up. The KonMari method consists of organizing by categories, going from clothes to books Papers, commono or small household objects like electronics or decoration and finally sentimental items. Kondo say you need to hold every item and ask if it still brings you joy. If it doesn't, that means it's time to donate it. And when you are done, the bags of all your stuff end up here, in the Good Stuff secondhand store in Richmond.
2: And everything is different, we hardly ever get duplicates and
5: uh, that have been telling us it doesn't bring me joy or i'm watching this program and i'm trying to you know i'll be back tomorrow with some more stuff so I, I know that people have been watching that but i kind of did the same thing i was watching her and then started bringing well i've been bringing stuff
6: that's judy miller she and her team have been working this the store for more than 20 years she was surprised with how much stuff they have been getting since the show started around the new year a time when people resolved to get organized
2: There was a lot of stuff coming in, it was just unbelievable.
7: You know, is it a cause and effect with
5: this method? Some of it, I would say, probably. Mm -hmm.
6: The Comer Method can also help people who are going through life-changing moments and want to begin a new, more organized phase of life. Those who are donating are over 30. Maybe they've
5: had children, they're donating, they're not going to have any more children, they donate their baby things, you know, then they're moving on to the next level. And a lot of people who go into retirement
6: see they don't need so much, their kids don't want so much. Living with less stuff makes it easy to keep the house clean and organized. And having a space that brings you joy, as Mary Condon would put on her TV show, can have an effect on the person's emotion and stress level as explained by the PhD in psychology and postdoc at UC Berkeley, Iris Stein.
3: Having an organized space means that you're going to spend much less time and energy looking for things because you already have an overview and know where your things are. Humans are very much affected by their physical environment. And a fresh, clean, and tidy environment simply feels better to be in compared to a shabby, disorganized, or dirty environment. Shoshana
6: Gold moved into her first apartment by herself in Oakland and decided it was the perfect time to make sure she only had what she needs.
3: Well, I think being from here, I've accumulated a lot of things. I just realized I don't actually need. Um, and then my grandparents and my aunts and uncles all live here, so that they... Like, when they get rid of stuff they'll give it to me like oh maybe you will want these 20 wine glasses for your apartment like, i'm one person i drink wine but like i don't need 20 wine glasses
6: when decorating her new apartment she also looked for secondhand furniture and items that did not bring joy to other people but would definitely bring joy to her
3: the bay area is full of people moving in and out so it's been really easy using Nextdoor, craigslist um, and there's a, in my neighborhood, it's a Facebook group of literally, it's a free Facebook group um, offering whatever you need or whatever you want to get rid of for free.
6: Gold said that the Netflix show is a very powerful tool for people who want to get more organized.
3: But there's something about the Netflix show where you're bringing her into your room and it just becomes so much more personal. So then I started following her on Instagram and just every day you Kind of being reminded of um, her process of tidying up,
6: and now she's proud of the result as she shows off her shirts, which are folded neatly into small squares, just the way Marie Kondo does it.
3: I mean, when I was moving in, I organized. I've never done this before, literally ever. It looks so good. I'm so. I don't know how long it'll last for. But I was like Marie would want me to fold my shirts like this. She'd be so proud.
6: I'm Yasmin Grammo for Tales of Two Cities. Our music is called Sunny by Ben Sound.
0: Games bring people together, and our last story shows how people can come together at any age to play.
1: Reporter Orion Kelly spent some time with a group of 20 and 30-somethings who still like to gather with their friends for a night of hanging out and using their imaginations.
2: Oh shit, the number of the
7: beast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how he had two dice. <laughs> it's a Saturday evening at an old Victorian house in Oakland. Inside a group of longtime friends, all in their late 20s and early 30s, gather to play a game. They have been meeting twice a month for over four years.
3: The ghost.
7: Yeah.
4: I'm doing it, you guys. <laughs> sounds like a didgeridoo. <laughs>
7: Tonight, they were supposed to play their favorite game, Dungeons & Dragons. But dungeon master Ethereal Lucian has caught the Black Plague. So instead, this band of misfits has decided to play a game called Mysteria. In the game, a group of investigators enter a haunted house. With the help of a ghost, they try and figure out who committed a nasty murder. Ever yours, Lady McDowell. That's Paloma Faultley, one of the three mediums who are trying to help the ghost remember the details of the murder, the suspect, location, and weapon. Here's Faultley and player Stefano Mori, coming up with a backstory for his character. A conspiracy theorist nerd. <laughs>
3: no, no,
0: I have a different backstory for my character.
3: My backstory. This guy's name is Angus Tillywinkle, <laughs> and like, he tells based on like. His knee starts acting up like when he gets into a room and he's like, oh yeah, there's something going on down
7: here. Moria has been playing tabletop games like this since he was 11. Now at age 32, he sees it as a form of social interaction and not a guilty pleasure.
0: I think tabletop games are a great way to hang out with friends. I think I tend to be a little more introverted and withdrawn around people I don't know, but I tend to get along well with other people that are really into these like geeky board games.
7: Each hour, the ghost gives clues to the mediums through a series of visions. That means they deal the player's illustrated cards that offer hints about the murder.
4: I have fish raccoon. <laughs> I,
1: I have tigers t- and a flying carpet and a lamp and a castle. Oh, obvious. So, real clear what I room would that would be. We'll see what ghosts say. This ghost is irrational, so you could very well be right.
7: (laughs) The ghost then might confirm the psychic's intuition by knocking on the table. One knock for no, and two knocks for yes. (gasps) Fautley and fellow player Samantha Bauer say that games shouldn't just be for kids. They are a good way to stretch your imagination and test your skills. Currently, I'm 27, but I don't really find
1: that my age is exceptional in the community of people who play Board games. Games really allow you to be somebody else.
4: I think for me, it's the puzzle of it all. Um, I really enjoy solving things with a group of friends.
7: The second rounds of cards are handed off to the players, and not everyone is happy with the ghost's choices. Faultly is worried that the ghost has been giving her deliberately misleading clues.
1: <laughs> Dearest ghost, I know we haven't been together long, and it's been a little rough, and. Uh...
7: I just want to say, if you fuck me over on this
6: one,
1: Ghost, i am so mad. Ghost, to my correct?
4: God damn. You goddamn bitch,
7: Ghost! <laughs> Even though gameplay can seem very intense, it's all in good fun. I still play games because I like to
1: relate to my friends in a way that allows us to have a sense of community and togetherness, the way that... Maybe something like watching a movie doesn't. That was just a, a vision for us to I think to in, in ghost
7: speak, that means like, fuck you. <laughs> that means
0: you know what? Maybe, we'll maybe we should help this ghost. <laughs> yeah.
4: This seems like a sassy ghost. Maybe we should just let it live in purgatory.
7: Yeah. <laughs> Reporting from Oakland, I'm Orion Kelly.
0: Before we go, we sat down to learn about romance novels with Rochelle, who goes by the pen name R.L. Merrill. Thank you so much for being here with us. You had a strong reaction about about the theme, <laughs> Guilty
4: Pleasures. Could you talk a little bit about that? I did have a strong reaction and it came actually from some conversations I had recently had with a couple of other authors that I know. Um, I have a blog uh, that I do myself. Uh, usually I write about my own uh, projects and things, but then on Fridays I talk about my writer friends and what they're up to. and I have a set of interview questions. And one of the questions was, what is your reading guilty pleasure? And three weeks in a row, my friend said, none, because reading is never anything to feel guilty about. No matter what it is, if it makes you happy and it fulfills you, then you should not feel guilty about it. We do enough as women to shame ourselves in our lives. So I'm not going to feel guilty for reading a vampire story or a billionaire boyfriend and secret baby romance. I'm not going to feel guilty about that. And I thought, you know what? You're absolutely right. And it changed my perspective. And then you called me and we had this conversation. And I just thought, you know what? If I want want to put it forward that this is what I believe about guilty pleasures. I I used to think of romance as that, but I don't anymore.
0: And do you think that comes from romance being seen often as something that's feminine and something that's not for men to read and therefore it's something that you should feel guilty about? Do you think it has a lot to do with that?
4: It has a lot to do with it not being valued because it is something that is considered trashy. It's considered uh, only about sex. But honestly... The writers that I know that write romance are some of the most brilliant authors and it's really hard because you have to take a set of characters and put them through a horrible experience and somehow make everything work out. And there are rules that you follow, but it's not a formula. The basic structure of a romance is you have two protagonists who meet under some sort of circumstances and there's some there's chemistry there's some reason why they can't be together. And usually they'll just get to the point where they might accept it. And there's some sort of a dark moment. And then there is a resolution. It's a regular story arc that you would have in any story. Um, but there are certain things that, that the um, readers are looking for. Uh, they're looking for the chemistry, the on-page chemistry, the pacing, to you know, so that you're not spending, you know, five chapters of backstory of what happened to person A or person B. Have you
1: ever uh, hidden the cover of your vampire romance novel on a train, <laughs> or have you ever felt guilty about something that you're reading?
4: Well, I used to. I used to feel guilty. I thought, I'm an educated woman, I should only be reading literary fiction. Um, and then I got sick, very, very sick. And I was on disability for about six weeks with pneumonia. And um, My husband had just gotten a Kindle, and he left it at home for me, and I started reading like a book every other day, a book every day, a couple of books a day, and it was wonderful to just have it, and uh, I was reading all the vampire romances, and once I got through all those, then I moved on to some of the other, the shifters, the werewolves, they're this and that, and... And I just discovered a whole new world. I met a whole bunch of new friends online that were all reading the same things. And I started to write. And it just turned into something that I was doing. Every time I had time to sit down, I started writing and and writing and writing. And after three years, I had a book. And then I was like, what do I do with it? And I had just met all of these people online who around 2011 was when things really blew up with e-readers and kindle and amazon and self-publishing and this was 2012 was when i finished and then i wrote another one and then another one and then another one and it just kind of kind of kept going from there and i met some amazing people online and um there's a whole wonderful community of authors that are independently um publish themselves or with small press or with traditional press, and it's a wonderful community, and they, we all encourage each other. A lot of books that are referred to as
1: classics of literature, they also deal with romance. They also deal with sex and uh, things that you write about in romance novels. So where do you think that distinction is? How come some of the books become romance novels that are seen as guilty pleasures? And how come Uh some of them are classics?
4: There's everything from erotic romance, which is very graphic on the page, sex scenes to um, sweet romance, which is, again, here's another uh, aspect of the guilty pleasure. Um, we have a tendency to refer to romance books as being um, clean or erotic or, or um, graphic. And a lot of people have stepped back and said, well, why would you call it clean versus you know sweet or or wholesome or something like that because then you're saying that the other kind is bad it's dirty because right. the opposite of clean mm-hmm. is dirty and so
0: another layer of guilt in there another
4: end. layer of guilt and you know we <laughs> you there's so much popular culture around sex anyway that um you know why is it that romance novels are the ones that are looked down upon? And when we ourselves refer to something as clean, uh, it just it, it causes issues. And I want to point out, romance writing, romance industry is a 1.3 billion dollar industry in this country, and its majority is written by women, produced by women, edited by women. Um, but for a long time, men held and and in a lot of the traditionally published. World, men hold the 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 positions of decision making about what gets published and what gets put out there. Agents for a long time, uh, it was a lot of men that were in charge. The difference, I think, has to do with who the publisher is and how they market it, because there are a lot of books that have romantic elements in it that have a happy ending and are not considered romance; they're considered literary fiction or women's fiction. Um, the, and the, the big difference between a romance novel and a book with romantic elements is a romance novel has to have a happily ever after or a happily for now. Why? Mm. Because you, when a reader picks up a romance novel, that's what they're expecting. That's the journey they want to take. They want to go through the mud and all the horrible, hard, sad, ugly cry moments. But at the end they want to feel good. <laughs> they want to have hope. And right now in this world, a lot of people really need hope. And so that's part of why so many people are writing romance and so many people are publishing romance, because what else can you do when you don't have power over what's going on around you, but you can focus it into this this little place?
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's it's said that the descriptor guilty pleasures is it, it's inherently meant to demean women for enjoying things. Especially young girls growing mm-hmm. up and figuring out what they like in
4: life. Do you see that connection? We make little girls or feel guilty for wanting to read all the time, but those little girls are now growing up to become best selling authors who are making a living writing, which is really, really hard. Most authors I know have a day job, but there are some that are making it work, and I, I think it's phenomenal. And I just wanted to point out that you found me through the San Francisco area Romance Writers of America chapter. And we um, are a professional organization that helps writers at all levels get from, I wrote this book, now what do I do, to I have a copyright infringement case that I'm involved in and I need some legal assistance uh, any of those things and helping you get published and learning to be a better writer um, if you think it's something that you want to do or if you're just interested in what could I possibly do with my writing it's a good place to start
0: and definitely no guilt attached no guilt (laughs) yeah thank you so much for being here with us this was was. a great conversation it was exciting to talk to you
1: If you'd like to know more about San Francisco's chapter of Romance Writers of America, go to sfarwa.net.
0: So, Sabine, what's your guilty pleasure? People don't often peg me
1: as a person who would watch an alien abduction documentaries. People are often wrong. (laughs) I love them for all their trashiness. Uh, I know that it's not real, but it's just so entertaining the way that they're edited the way that people are interviewed and what they're saying, everything. I, I just love watching them. And what are yours, Betty?
0: So I got a dog about almost two years ago. And my guilty pleasure is almost pretending like he's a baby. It's terrible. He's not. It's a dog. But I just love him so much. Maybe I'll start thinking like Rochelle and say, you know what? He brings me happiness, so I don't feel guilty about it. So (laughs) true.
1: Those are such babies. (laughs) There you go. That's it for this episode of Tales of Two Cities podcast. We hope you enjoyed learning about some of the guilty pleasures people have, and we're curious to know if you have any.
0: Let us know. Comment on our SoundCloud account or write us on Facebook by looking up our websites, Oakland North and Richmond Confidential.
1: Or you can even feed us at North Oakland Now and RI Confidential.
0: Our producer this week is Brooklyn's finest Luis Hernandez. Our music is by Kevin McLeod.
1: You can listen to our podcast on OaklandNorth.net and RichmondConfidential.org. You can also find us on SoundCloud and you can subscribe to our
0: podcast on iTunes. I'm Sabine Berzny. And I'm Betty Márquez-Rosales. Thanks for listening to the Tales of Two Cities podcast.